Welcome. Happy Thursday. We are super excited to share our first episode of the Peacock series, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise, here with you on the regular feed. I knew nothing about this case. I became convinced I would have been a Gacy victim had I lived in the 1970s, and Jillian tolerates my shenanigans. All six episodes of our coverage of this series are available right now, ad-free on the Patreon. And if you need another reason to listen, Queen Maggie Freeling told me over the weekend that our coverage of this series is her favorite we've ever done. So enjoy this episode here. You can find the other five episodes as well as our other almost 200 full ad-free bonus episodes on our Patreon feed. It's where we cover all the series, everything from Tiger King, Serial Season 1, The Jinx, The Menendez Murders, and so much more. And you can get that by going to our website, truecrimeobsessed.com, and clicking on the Patreon link. Wait, how do you spell Gacy? Like Gary, but with a C, so G-A-C-Y. I have it as G-A-Y-C-E, like putting the gay in Gacy. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) It's Gacy. I don't know how this is hard. He's one of the most well-known. You know what? I know nothing about this clown. Hi, Julia Benzavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. You guys, we're starting a whole new series. I, I literally knew nothing about this clown. I mean... His I, clown makeup is so bad. I feel like we don't even talk about the clown stuff all that much. Oh, I'm about to talk about it a whole lot. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I only knew... You know that book, The Last Victim, I talk about a yes, lot? Like, yeah. that guy, Gacy, was the, the serial killer he was, like, closest with and went to see him in prison and, yeah. like, all this horrible stuff. And so I knew that he was terrifying and that he preyed on young men and boys, but I didn't know... Like a ton of I men. don't find him terrifying at all, and I'm sure that we'll get there. But like, that's what's probably terrifying. Like, this is for sure a guy I would have had a drink with. You know what I mean? Really? Not, not like in a sexual way, but like there was a time this afternoon I almost texted you like I find him charming. But like that's the serial killer shit. Like that's like right. that's not me being garbage. That's like him being a good serial killer. But like that, <laughs> I you should be more terrified about that. Is what I'm saying. We no, need to get I'm like meta saying. about it. I know. <laughs> like, Right, but the lack of terror is yeah. the terror. <laughs> you know what? I see your point. I'm suddenly terrified. <laughs> My job here is done. Thank you so much for joining us. That's been F1. Oh, you guys, this is, okay, this one is called John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise, Episode 1, The Trigger. Right. So we get on-screen text, right? We learn that in 1992, serial killer John Wayne Gacy sat down for a rare on-camera interview. Few of his words have been heard until now. And then I said, John Wayne Gacy is real offended that people have said that they've gotten interviews with him before. Why, after so many years of silence, never having a media interview, and people have said that you have given them interviews in years Well, that's hogwash. Yeah. That's, That's strictly hogwash. So we're saying I'm constantly today. told that it, that I, I'm misquoted constantly, saying that I, I said this and I said that, and it's not happened. He says that's hogwash. Yeah, okay. Well, he says a lot of things. He's I, like, everyone just has the wrong idea about me. And right. I'm like, really? Well, and he says... Well, the idea that that I'm, I'm a homosexual thrill killer and all that, that garbage. The idea that I'm a homosexual thrill killer and all that garbage? And I said, I know we have bigger fish to fry. We've already talked about this off mic. Yes. Are, is he not out? <laughs> I thought John Wayne Gacy was like a bachelor gay dude uh-huh. who was like out to himself but like not to the world oh. and just like living in it like where he was luring young hot guys to his house and then murdering them. Mm-hmm. Not the case you guys. No. Not it's, the case. It's just interesting how different we are because I just have in big bold letters I'm going to be furious the whole time. I know it. I know it. <laughs> then I say and like I've only watched two episodes of this. Oh. He says they painted this image of me that uh, 
like I, I strolled down the streets and stalked young boys and, and slaughtered them. Hell, if you could see my schedule, my work schedule, you know damn well that I was never out there. Is he denying that he did these murders? I was like, what about all the bodies under your house, girl? The things that he says will blow your mind. Like, this weird, like, oh, yeah, no, I'll sit and talk to you about the murders. I'm sorry, what murders? Like, right. in the same breath, he's yeah. admitting yeah. and denying it. Right. Like, it's so... Oh, so, you hate that. I you hate really it. hate that. Like, first of all, don't be a fucking serial killer, yeah. and then don't gaslight me about it, you piece of shit. Don't do that. So, the whole setup for this is this, like, interview with this FBI guy. Mm-hmm. The FBI guy basically is like... Well, you, you were now, you were indicted, convicted, and sentenced on 33 counts of of, of uh, homicide, is that correct? That's correct. You were actually indicted, convicted, and sentenced on 33 counts of homicide. Is that correct? And he's like, well, yes, that well, is true. Okay, yeah, well, fine. <laughs> also, he's not just some FBI guy. He's Rob Ressler, but we'll get to him in a minute. Is he? Who is he? It's like John Douglas and Rob Ressler. Okay, that's what I was assuming based on what they tell us about him later. And, and it's like John Douglas and Rob Ressler both claim to have invented the term serial killer, so yeah. we'll let them fight it out. I know. They say that later, and I was like, uh, it's sort of like how Janice Dickinson said she invented supermodel, and I was <sighs> like, there's a lot of discourse about that in the gay community. I had a roommate who claimed that they invented the term NBD. <laughs> so we're starting in December 1978. I was to be born two months later. Really? Three months later. Oh, I was going to say, wait, December to March. Okay. But we're here in New York City with Craig Boley, who is, his lower third is John Gacy prison correspondent, to which I say, I'm sorry, what? I know. And I just went, this queen, hey girl. I mean, he, so he's like, I'm sitting around, I'm doing my laundry. <laughs> I'm watching the television set. Yeah. And he's like, I see this news report. And it's the news report of like all of these bodies yes. being discovered under a house in Chicago. Spoiler, it's Gacy's house. Yeah. And he's just like, I was dumbfounded. And he's like, is it possible that like somebody could do this by themselves? He's like, I was dumbfounded. So I guess my first letter to him was, <laughs> uh, what was it, 85? I probably first wrote to him in 83, 84. 1988, John finally responded to one of my letters. And from there, we started corresponding and talking on the phone. This guy wrote to this guy for five fucking years. Without a response. I had that Without exact same note. Just like, hey, Gase, just nudging. What, what was like the, like, just going to ping you. Oh, I hate that oh, term. God. That's so fucking corporate. Oh, I'll ping you. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. totally ping me. Yeah. Oh, it makes me sick. But how, what, what's the 1988 version of that just writing another letter yes I guess. more snail mail to john wayne, wayne gacy. gacy yeah and so he says like starting with that response in 1988 they start talking on the phone because he couldn't take notes fast enough and they this like <laughs> they go to a hundred because they're like we're writing constantly then they're on the phone they're talking on the phone like four to five times a week and we hear a clip of it they are old friends yeah. old girlfriends the it, two they of them. really are these two old queens are old girlfriends Gacy is complaining about the weight he put on plus the fact in the last month and a half being as aggravated and frustrated as I have been I've jumped up 25 pounds oh my god you're kidding no what are you oh, when eating? I get frustrated and aggravated, I eat everything in sight. Oh my God, what are you eating? Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> and Gacy's like, girl, everything in sight. I'm eating everything. 
Get that donut away from me. I know. Straight to my thighs, But Greg. I'm also like, why do you have so much access to food in prison? This is what Gacy did. Like, he oh, just yeah. charmed everybody. Right. Like, that. Yeah. Like Gacy got whatever the... F- we'll get to that in yeah, a minute. Totally. Like, just a little bit of it. But, like, this is so fucking gross. How many people were just like, that Gacy. I, Before, during, I and know. after the sexual assault and murders he committed. It's unbelievable. 33 young boys. But this guy, Craig, says... In January of 1989, I flew into St. Louis and went to Menard Correctional Facility, which is in the very southern tip of Illinois. And I started visiting him, which I did every three months for three days at a time for six years. For six years? Yes. (laughs) Every three months, Craig would go visit John Wayne Gacy for three days at a time. Just a long weekend with Gacy. Eating donuts and oh, she said what? Oh my god! And then you said oh, I know, I know. It's also like Craig, what do you do for a living that you have that kind of flexibility and that kind of cash? Yeah, and he's like, I don't know if I want to write a book or make a movie over it, but he knew he like wanted to do something with all this. And I'm like, I think you kind of like being around Gacy. I think that that's true. I don't know. I feel a little bit like Craig knows that Gacy is a fucking crazy maniacal killer. Yes, Yes, I don't know. There are moments later that I'm like, oh shit, Craig, you're playing the long game. I agree. I think there's a lot a lot of those things are true yeah, at one time. Yeah. And so suddenly Gacy's like, hey girl, hey Craig, I want to do an interview. Like yes. I want to do a real legit interview. And the prison's like, no, we love him, <laughs> but he's gotten too much attention. We yeah. don't want to do that. And so we love Gacy, him, but we love him, but it's just too much. And yeah. so Gacy's like, I know how to get around these idiots. Gacy said, Oh, well, you have to talk to my good friend who works at the FBI. And I said, Who's that? And he goes, Robert Ressler. Again, Robert Russell, FBI's behavioral unit, like yeah. John Douglas, whatever. And so, like, once Rob Ressler is involved with this, the prison's like, oh, Do- yeah, totally. <laughs> no, we're old friends Do- with Rob Ressler, not Gacy. And so, like, th- this interview is, like, all set to go. It happens on May 4th, 1992. Because everybody at this prison loves John Wayne Gacy and this wrestler guy, the warden's like, you know what, girl, dude, just do it in my office. How, th- is that cozy enough for you? And, like, Gacy's super casual. He's talking about audio levels. He, and- Gacy's trying to direct this thing. He wants to make sure he looks good, that he's heard. See, I was going to ask you, in so far as sound goes, do, if I'm down with my head, does that hurt your sound quality? And they're just kind of like, girl, we just want to talk to you about the bodies. And like, he has a gigantic binder with I him. <laughs> and they let Gacy take his handcuffs off. The warden is yeah. like, what? what's the harm? What's the worst he could do? Oh, and this is where Craig, I'm like, this is where Craig is playing the long game because they take the handcuffs off and Craig is like, and so then I immediately said to the cameraman, anything that starts to get slow or dull, cut to his hands. There's going to be a tell there somewhere. There's going to be a tell there somewhere. I don't quite know what that means, but he thinks there's going to be a tell with the hands. Yeah, and so there's like this shot of Gacy sitting there with these documents, and some guy, I don't know if it's the warden, is sitting so close to him yeah. drinking a Diet Coke, and yeah. he looks so <laughs> tiny next to Gacy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, does he have his arm around him? Like, they look very, they're canoodling. I was also like that vintage Diet Coke can. You could probably get $1,000 for that on eBay now. I know. You know? It's, it's, that's like a weapon in prison though the cans <laughs> it's just fucking it's just wild and Gacy's like I'll do my best to watch my fucking language or something right. stupid like it's so like annoying yeah. I don't find him charming or normal at all yeah, uh, which is like welcome to True Crime I'm Obsessed. not saying I like the guy I'm just saying I don't think like, you like I, I know I totally I know what you're saying I have a of him in my room when you come over the next time like is that why it took you so long to move in to <laughs> the quote move into this new apartment you didn't want to admit to my, you, way, to my John Wayne Gacy poster he's like your Farrah Fawcett oh, from the 70s God. 
<laughs> but it's it's wild because they're talking about the logistics of the case. Yeah. But he's so innocent. But he has a whole binder yeah. about all these boys. It's really really crazy. And and Craig reminds us here. I feel like he's talking to me like we're learning so much now that we would never have known at the time. Benny, this should be the definitive story, and not just about Gacy, but it's about the families that were affected. The victims, hopefully making some sense about some of the loose ends. Because a lot of this is just about making sense to this and giving some closure to the family and the victims and the survivors. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, all right. And then Gacy has the audacity. Like, they're finally all set up and ready. Oh, did you have the same note? Go ahead. He goes, all right, so whenever the hell they're ready. All right, so whenever the hell they're ready. Excuse me. I was like, you're not only a fucking rapist serial killer, but you're also rude to the crew. Uh-huh. Not on my watch, Casey. No not on my. Way. The charm just went out the window, girl. See, there you go. <laughs> Please and thank you is what you say. And so then now we meet Jay Levine. Oh my who, God. And he was a reporter for ABC7 in Chicago in the 70s. In 1978, when the Gacy story broke, I was a general assignment reporter and a weekend anchor at ABC7 in Chicago. General assignment reporter, but weekend anchor, weekend anchor. Yeah, yeah. He's like, look, the city of Chicago loves me i loved it right back and he was like he really wants us to know that chicago was like the epicenter of great news coverage back then chicago was a dream job for me if you go back to the days of the front page when journalism was king in chicago and there were eight newspapers chicago was the epicenter of great news coverage Jay, I've never heard that, but you know what? I believe you. Girl. I believe Jay. I absolutely believe Jay you. Jay loved his job and he loved this. He, like, Jay is one of those people, like, I, we talked about this in McMillions. He's like one of those people who just always tells the story about his connection to the John Wayne Gacy case. And to be honest, that's all anyone wants to hear about totally. anyway. <laughs> because the story's kind of like, yeah. like the stuff reporters really, like, live for, right? Yes. That, like, never happens right. to anyone, <laughs> but it happened to Jay. Right. So he's yeah. like, so cut to 1978. Jay walks into his apartment, like, long day at work. Yeah. He's got his briefcase. <laughs> He's like, oh, just like rubbing his neck. Just another day of being a part of the news media that they just love here. Doing the goddamn good work, right? He's like patting himself on the back, totally. like, ooh, making himself a scotch. And the phone's ringing. And he goes, Is he not going to get to the scotch before he goes? He's sipping it as okay, he's great. walking over. It's like so warm, but it doesn't have a bite after. It's just like smooth going down. And goddamn it, he's earned it. He's Jay Levine and he's. Working Weekend anchor, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, God, Sunday, <laughs> 11 o'clock, but he worked really hard and it's all worth it for the, for the people of Chicago. <laughs> the news deserving people of Chicago. Yeah. They love yeah. it. They love yeah. the news. Yeah, that's Jay. Like, fuck yeah. I'm awesome. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Damn it, I'm so awesome. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is. Whew. <laughs> Not since the difference between an alligator and a crocodile have oh I laughed. Oh my so God. Hard. And out comes the chloroform. <laughs> so oh. Jay is like hyping himself up after a long weekend at work, and the phone's ringing. And been, like over it, he's like, Fuck yeah. yeah, I'm so awesome. Oh, I'm so awesome. It's like, bring, bring. And he answers it and he just sort of drops this in and he's like, I picked up the phone and it was the person who would become a major source for this story for years to come. And the person on the other end is the person who will become a major, major source of this case for years to come. Right, yeah. And the source is like, Jay, get to 8213 West Somerdale right away. And Jay's like, I'm on it. He's like a superhero. He's like ripping his shirt off and there's a superhero costume under. So totally. it's midnight. Right. Again, Jay like just got a long night a long night work but it's midnight and he's like god damn it the city needs me 
So he goes to this house, like, a source calls him. It's like, Jay, get to this house immediately. Only something bad could have happened. Totally, exactly. And it's at midnight. It takes a scotch right off the door. There you go. <laughs> Puts it in a coffee cup. Throws <laughs> you the still lid. hear the ice. <laughs> no time. But he's telling us this address, 8213 Summerdale. It's in a neighborhood called mm-hmm. Norwood Park Township, Chicago's west side. And he's telling us, like, the thing about Chicago at the time was that there were murders there, but they were mostly, like, drug-related and, like, not so much covered by the news. But for there to be, like, something crazy with, like, bodies or murders or whatever maybe happening in this neighborhood, that was news. Because, the, like, this part of town where Gacy lived was quiet, hardworking, blue-collar people, you know, like, not not a place where the action was. Right, right, right. And then he he's like... December in Chicago is not fun for anybody. And this was a cold December. But you can endure almost anything if the story is big enough. Because I love the city. God damn it. <laughs> but to be fair, December in Chicago yeah, is not to- fun for anybody. But he's like, but the point is, yeah. the story was so big, nobody gave a shit about the weather. Like midnight, right. December, Chicago. Like it's bitter, bitter cold. And he's like, I'm going to fucking break the story. He's the first guy there. <laughs> He's the first guy, yeah. and he's like, more and more people showed up as the night went on, but let the record first. show. Yeah, <laughs> Number one with my scotch, okay? But he says, he's like, this was something the likes of which I had never seen, that from now until the day I die, I will be able to remember and be able to feel and touch and see and smell. I will remember being able to feel and touch and see and smell. Like, he loves that he was a part of the story. Hates that the murders happened. Sure. Loves that he was there to report on it. Yeah, he's one of our main narrators through the yeah. whole thing. So he tells us... Uh, he says the title of this one and the next one. Oh, good for him. Yeah, good for you, Jay. It's actually, like, a big deal. I know, if you're I the totally person agree. who says the title yeah. in a six-part series, and then you got two of them at least. And especially it's unscripted. Like, just the thing you said was good enough to be the title. Good work, yeah, Jay. I mean, sure. he's been a reporter. He was, he was a weekend anchor, so he He gave knows. himself some loose copy. <laughs> he came prepared. I appreciate that. So he tells us about a kid named Rob Peast. The first name to surface was Rob Peast. He was the trigger to the whole investigation. The trigger to like this whole investigation. The trigger. It's called the trigger. Oh my God, there you go. Rob Peast is 15 years old and he worked at a pharmacy and one day just disappeared. And we hear the story of how how this happened. Yeah, so the story is that on December 11th, he was working at this pharmacy down the street from where Gacy lives and his mom had come to pick him up and he walks out and he's like, hey, there's this guy in the pharmacy who's a contractor and he's looking for workers and I want to go talk to him for a minute because I bet if I can get him to hire me, then I'll make way more money than I'm making here. And the mom's like, yeah, go talk to the guy. I'll wait for you here. I mean, like, be right back, mom. Just going to have this conversation yeah. for five minutes. And she's like, no problem. And his mother never sees him again, which is I, like. I just wonder how long oh she God. waited there. Like, so she, I guess she goes home and like tells the husband, the mom and the dad are frantically running all of her desk planes. Somebody in the Facebook group like phonetically wrote it out for us. They're like, just so you know. Desk planes. De- De- oh, I can't say desk planes. No, desk planes. it's desk planes. It's like de- it's two words. Desk planes. <laughs> So this kid, Rob Peace, the, the thing about this kid is that he was really close to his family and there was no way that he would just like take off. And so his Especially because parents... it was his mom's birthday. They were going to celebrate her mom, his mom's birthday that night. And Jay says to us like... And at that point, the Peace family launched a full court press into the disappearance of a, of a, of a child who to them was inconceivable to have disappeared. 
They do all the rounds of all the local media that they mm-hmm. can. They're really, really looking for this kid. Now we have to hear about how John Wayne Gacy had like a successful contracting company, but his expertise is remodeling pharmacies. Oh, I know. That is the weirdest thing I've ever it's heard. It's so specific. It's so weird. Because he learned that he was really good at painting and maintenance and decorating. And wallpapering. And wallpapering. And you know what? This guy went out and like made a business that was thriving and doing really well. Why'd you have to be also a serial killer? Why couldn't you just be the successful guy with the good business? Because he's a serial killer. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. What he really is is a serial killer. Right. Like the wallpapering is a is a front. Totally. (laughs) It's like how like like Clark Kent is that is like Superman is who he really is and Clark it's like you know like he's really you know whatever. I know where you were going with Let's that. Go back to Jay, the I reporter with his scotch. Going. One of the major tenets of why his business was so successful is because he hired young boys. He like, and we'll get more into that later, but they were cheap labor that he could train, and we'll come back to that. Well, yeah, it's like obviously not really why he'd hired why right. he hired them, but we're <laughs> right. falling for it already. He's I, like, oh, they were cheaper. <laughs> I didn't have to deal with the unions. I could teach them how, you know, my way. Totally. And I'm like. No, well, you're luring them. We meet one of the guys, Anthony, Ant, Ant, how do you say his last name? Antonucci. Antonucci. We meet Anthony Antonucci. It's a hell of a name, Anthony Antonucci. I know. <laughs> Anthony. Hey, Anthony, tell us about what it was like being a former Gacy employee. He was a decent boss. He'd like to joke around. He was a little bit heavy set, so he kind of had, you know, the aura of being jovial and joking around and seemed to not take things too seriously. Basically, Antony is like, the guy was fat, so he was funny. Anthony! Oh, Antony. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he seemed to not take things too seriously. But the point is, like, he had four or five employees. They were all, like, 16 to 20 years old. And when you see the tw- when you see the pictures of the 20-year-olds, they look like they're 15. Yeah. So, like, he has a type, you right. know? Now, Rob's parents, Rob Peace, our, our first victim here. Rob Peace is why mm-hmm. Gacy gets found out, so we're going to keep coming back He's to He's the trigger story. to this whole thing. He's it's the Jason. trigger. Jay told us at the beginning. Hey, God, listen to Jay. Unless Jay turns out to be garbage in six months. I don't I don't know. I'm living here in the moment, in the now. So Rob's parents are like, obviously something horrible happened. Yes. If he could have come home, he would have, which right. is like, oh my God, so heartbreaking. Yeah. So the cops are like, here's an idea. Here's a swell idea. Why don't we call this John Wayne Gacy guy yeah. and look into him? We started to call this person to find out what was going on and stated that he didn't know anything about any missing kids from the drugstore. He was a little um, defensive. And based on that, we wanted to pursue him a little further. Don't be defensive. When the cops call, have a good fucking story and invite them in. Uh, how about you be as defensive as you want to be so we can catch it? <laughs> oh, right. I forgot what we were doing here. Right, right, right. I stand corrected. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I hear you. I know you're, I'm just you're, trying on, to help you're on a soapbox <laughs> in a very helpful mood. But Gacy's not the guy you want to No, no. Nope. You know I, I mean? take it. Strike it from the record. Happy to be here. So he insists he knows nothing about Rob, the kid from the pharmacy. They do a background check on this guy. And this is where we learn that, like, I mean, of course we know this, but it's like the fucking 70s. It wasn't like you could just, like, Boop, 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 and plug his name into a computer and you yeah. get all the fucking information on him. We learned there's like a filing cabinet in Chicago where they have files on all the bad guys. And they're searching it by hand. By hand. Like just hoping that it's alphabetical. Like, right. you know, there's like, this is where the term clerical error, children, yes. that's where it comes from because people will just put files any which way. And every time we wonder why there were so many fucking serial killers from the 50s to the 90s, oh, this is why. This is why. You could get away with it. So finally they learn after, I don't know even know how they found this out, honestly, yeah. in like a mess, a pile of <laughs> manila envelopes. a God bless this mess. <laughs> They finally learned that the guy's on parole to Chicago from the state of Iowa. He served prison time. He was convicted of sodomy. He served prison time in Iowa for raping a young boy. And I just don't understand why we're here. You know, 
Here's one thing I want to say about this. They say originally that he was arrested and served prison time for sodomy. And we don't learn until later that the it was a boy who was underage. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important distinction because the sodomy laws were used to target like gays for right. a really long time mm-hmm. and was like it was a really devastating thing. And like the way these cops talk about gay stuff in this episode isn't great. No, and it's not. Talking about the sodomy laws, like it's great that we got Gacy for this on that technicality or whatever, but it was also like a law that was used to like torture gay people for a century. Yeah. Just wanted to say that real quick. Just hold tight, by the way, yeah. as the episodes go on. Oh, great. So the cops go to his house, and Gacy was on his way out. They're like, oh, oh, sorry, hey, that little like collision. <laughs> and they're like, hey, uh, can you come down to the station? We have some questions about Rob Peace. And Gacy says, ah, I don't have time right now. I'm just nope. not going to do that. Right. And the cops are like, okay, great. They just accept. I know. And he's a big dude. And so like you just see, like, okay, so you were the last person to see Rob Peace. We know that. Yeah. We know that you raped a kid. Yes. We know that you served time we know you're on parole but you just don't have the time (laughs) but they do stick around because what they see is as soon as they leave as soon as we left Gacy's house he attempted to flee from the area running to his car and driving away at a high rate of speed he runs at the top of his lungs to his car he runs He's like, oh no, sorry guys, I just got to bring He's like, off at the top and of running. His lungs. He drives away at a high rate of speed, they right. said. <laughs> and so I'm like, are the cops going to do something about this? Or, but they do. They try to get, they get a search warrant. They do. They get a search warrant. And the next day, they, this is actually kind of brilliant. The one cop gets a search warrant and the other cop is tasked with like just distracting Gacy. So Gacy comes down the next day to give his statement. When Gacy came into the station, it was my job to entertain him for a couple hours because he was only there. For to be interviewed, we couldn't detain him, but we didn't want him to leave until we got the search warrant. So for two hours, I sat there with him, and I quickly analyzed him and figured out this guy was a blowhard and had a big ego, so I just started feeding it. He was telling me he was a mm-hmm. successful businessman, and he knew people in politics in Chicago, and I just pretended to be interested and impressed, and he just stayed there for hours. I feel like the director was like, so was it was it hard to keep Gacy there for a long time? Because the cop's like, it was no problem keeping <laughs> no. him there talking for two and hours. This would 100% work on me. Tell me more about your podcast. We Tell me this- more about your kid. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, so let me see. It was a cold March oh, morning. In 1970, uh, it all started. And so, like, the cops, like, yeah, we, I kept him talking about himself for two hours. Yeah. It was very easy. Cut to Gacy, who's like, they held me there for nine hours. <laughs> and I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm sure it you is, know, but yeah. Gacy was thrilled to be there. Of course. <laughs> he was thrilled to be like, more about my wallpapering? Yeah. Sure. Let me see what you got going on in the hallway. Ooh, what is this? Fat? No, no, you know, no, no, no. I gotta say, when you wake up one day and you realize you're great at wallpapering, I don't want to do it. Wallpaper. You know what I that mean? like a thing people did. Yeah. Like wallpaper. I know. And he was really good at it. Why'd you gotta be a serial killer, boo? Was he good at it? And, and also <laughs> rearranging pharmacies or whatever? You guys, he really, his like big business was like remodeling pharmacies. He had such a good eye that he was able to tell you how to like redecorate the inside of your pharmacy to make people buy more shit. You put the pharmacy, you put the, the pharmacist <laughs> over there. You put the aspirin over there. Do you think he's the reason the milk is in the back of the grocery store? No. <laughs> I think some other dummy just Side of that one. <laughs> then we have we have our some of our prosecutors here, right? Yeah, Lawrence and Terry, Larry and Terry. You want to go, Larry? Sure, Larry and Terry? and Terry. I like That's it. That's cute, right? I like it. So it's very Lancey and Timmy. That's why. Oh, Lancey and Timmy. Larry and Terry. So they're like... Gacy lived in an unincorporated area of Cook County called Norwood Park. The location of his residence was significant because he lived a stone's throw away from the Nissan Pharmacy in Des Plaines, where Rob Peace was working. 
it's so obvious now, but it was also pretty obvious then. Right. He was the last guy to see him. He's surrounding himself with teenage boys. Yeah. He also lives minutes away from Rob. Like, come on, can we look? And he has a record. I know. <laughs> so the first search, so they get the search warrant. Great. Yes. The first search comes up empty. There's no information on Rob Peace. So the, so the search warrant is for Rob Peace. Yes. So they're like, well, we did find some uh some stuff that didn't belong there it didn't necessarily involve raw peace but here's the stuff they found that made them go hmm. they did find uh things that really didn't belong there such as a class ring and they found a variety of pornography uh, they found up in the attic uh, some shackles and they also found up in the attic under some insulation two books one of which was entitled the gay love letters and the other book was pretty boys must die you know these are very very odd things to have now I went down a Reddit rabbit hole for five hours. Me too. Because they find two books. One is called The Gay Love Letters and one is called Pretty Boys Must Die. And these cops are fucking scandalized. One of the cops like, that's some real weird shit to have. So I was expecting to like Google and find out that these were about like men having sex with like dead male corpses or something. Right. No. The Gay Love Letters is exactly what it sounds it's like, you guys. It's just about gay love letters through time. It's actually a beautiful thing. You can't find it anymore. There's one available on Amazon for $900. Get it. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> right? I want to spend money on it. But then the other one is called Pretty Boys Must Die, and it just looks like a Pulp Fiction novel, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there's literally no information about it. There's a whole Reddit thread about how there's no information about this book. I thought it was going to be, like, fanfic, but really graphic. Ugh. Like, Pretty Boys Must Die. Yeah, uh, like, but it also sounds like if you guys know about like lesbian Pulp Fiction no- novels from like the 50s, they all have titles right, like right, that, you yeah. know? And it's just sort of like, they're just gay books. So in addition to that, here's like the real weird stuff. In the trash can in the kitchen, they found a film receipt that originated from Nissan Pharmacy where Rob Peace had worked. We found driver's license from two other individuals. So that was what we found, but nothing to lead us to Robert Peace. So we had to leave the house and let Casey back in. IDs of two other people. I mean... Uh, actual driver's licenses with people's names on them. I guess it is the 70s, but it still takes them too long to figure out what's going on there. I mean, it's kind of all laid out. Right, exactly. When you add it all up, right. like every single thing we've mentioned, yes. somewhere Jay Levine is like, come on! I know. <laughs> do I have to do this all myself? I know. <laughs> so now they're like, all right, so the warrant was just for the Rob Peace info. They have to let Gacy go, but they're going to look into him because they're like, wait a second. Yeah, then we all of this was a real education to me. We find out that Gacy was married in Iowa. He had two kids and then went to prison. And I just said, yikes. Yikes. And then it turns out all these other young boys and men who'd worked for him had also just gone missing. Yes. And these again, like, you know, they are what, like, I think they would describe them as like throwaway kids. Kids whose families aren't like actively They're vulnerable, vulnerable kids. Exactly. And so like the IDs belong to these people. The class ring belong to one of these missing kids. We get one of the cops is like, we would sit there in the displays police department and just say, what in God's name are we sitting on top of? Girl, what are we sitting on? Yeah. Like, like what, what is, is happening this? here? And I think it, I think it's Jay, the, our reporter, who's like, Gacy had a super long record and there were red flags everywhere all yeah. along the way that no one paid attention to. Yeah, he's saying it wrong, though. He's saying people looked the other way and it's maybe a little bit of that, but nobody wanted to look at the thing. Yeah. Nobody wanted to look at the creepy guy who's creeping on boys. Like, that was too gross to deal with, so so many kids had to die. No, I think this is too gross to deal with. Yes. That they didn't. <laughs> that they thought it was too gross to deal that's with is too gross to deal right, with. Right, and, that, and that's yeah. my point. Point, totally. You know what I mean? Agreed. Craig is here for a minute. Craig is the one who was like writing him all those letters for a hundred years and would spend three days every three months with him. For like six years he did yeah. this. 
He calls him John. I know. Craig is like... It was in so many different districts, and some were more diligent than others in pursuing it. I think they did look the other way many times, but the fact that he got away with it for so long, is he entirely to blame? Or is there something faulty with the system? Craig? <laughs> Both things can be true at once. He is one yes. zillion percent to blame yes. for the rape and murder of the, and abduction of these boys. Yes. Craig? <laughs> you having too many Diet Cokes with your best friend John and talking on the phone about the donuts. Stop. Yes, I know. Stop it. I know. I know. God I damn it. absolutely agree with you. And when I see him at the next homosexual meeting, I will bring it up. Thank you. Okay? I appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. Because you guys all meet together. I understand. <laughs> So now the cops are surveilling Gacy at all times. I mean, 24-7. And it's a wreck. They're like, no one really told us what to do other than just watch Gacy. And so then Gacy tells us to camera. They were had me under surveillance. The only trouble is, is that the, the Mickey Mouse way they were doing it, they had two cars following me day and night. Mm-hmm. They had trouble keeping up with me, so I used to go out to the car in the morning and tell them where I was going. So in case they got lost. Gacy knew, and the cops knew that Gacy knew. Yeah. So every morning, you'd be like, hey, fellas, and they're like, hey, Gacy, <laughs> just going to follow you. And so one night, they follow him to the Moose Lodge. I mean, this is so ridiculous. And they're, like, sitting out in their car. These two cops are sitting out in their car while he's in at the Moose Lodge, and they just have this thought, why don't we just go inside and surveil him? Because he know Gacy knows, and we know he knows. Right. So it's cold out here. Let's have a couple beers. And We're just on- have, have, have eyes on the guy. We're on the clock on the taxpayer's time. Let's go in and have a couple beers with the this guy. This is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. So they sit three <laughs> tables away from him. A short time later, the waitress approaches us with two beers and says, these beers on the gentleman over there, pointing to Gacy. About halfway through our beer, we sent Gacy a beer. So we reciprocated. Gacy's like, hey, oh, hey fellas. Yeah. Oh, hey. And he's like, hey, bud. That Bud's the bartender. Yeah. Bud, their next round's on me. Totally Gacy not. buys them beers. The cops buy him a round back with your tax dollars, yes. Jay Levine. Yeah. Do an expose on that. Yes. Then they stay out all night, and Gacy's like, you guys want some eggs? So let's go get some breakfast. You guys, after closing down the fucking Moose Lodge, Gacy's walking out. He's like, let's go get breakfast. They go around the corner to the pot and pan restaurant. They sit together and have breakfast. Steak and eggs. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> with the serial killer. With the serial killer. And like, if the he- cops say the cops tell us straight up you know we're just chatting about what we're doing why we're following him I'm like girl really I'm hoping hoping that they're using this against him because he one is so clearly full of hubris as you said but also like the guy loves to talk so they're like okay so he would just brag about himself he just keeps like painting himself into a corner because he's like I'll talk to you about why I hire young kids do you want to know about why I hire 14 year olds and they're like yes he says you know I I gotta tell you from experience I know if I've hired a guy that it's been around a block a few times. It's hard for me to train him because he's used to doing it a certain way. If I hire these young kids that don't have any experience, I can train them right from right from the start how to do it the way I want it done. I mean, obviously that's not true. Right. And then we get this like crazy, like we we did this in the Blagojevich episode, but we get this like lesson on Chicago politics where it's like the mayor is in charge, but there's all these precincts captains and Gacy was like a precincts captain. And this is where we learn he wanted to get into politics at some point, but he was also Pogo the Clown sometimes. And we just like <laughs> gloss over Pogo I, the Clown. I and I not have me. to- I paused it. 
His makeup as a clown is so bad, first of all. I have to tell you, like, it's like he's trying to be scary. Yes. Really. Like, yeah. the image, he doesn't look like a clown. Right. Well, I think clowns are scary anyway. Right. But, like, real hot take, I know. <laughs> but doesn't Casey look like he's dressing up as a murder clown? He does. And, like, it's not good makeup. And uh, honestly, like, don't you have to go to clown college to be a real clown? To be a, yeah, but he's full of shit yeah. all the time. But he's, like, look, like staring, like, angrily at all the photos. <laughs> right. Can you try to smile? Like, can you? Uh, we'll get it. We'll get into more of the clowning a little later. But then we learn that, like, he, as his, like, precinct's captain or whatever, he also organized the local Polish parade every year. And one year, Rosalind Carter, the first lady, came? And he's, like, getting Secret Service clearance because <laughs> and meeting the first lady. And someone's like, The emblem on Gacy's jacket indicates he had Secret Service clearance even though he was convicted of a sex offense in 1968. And then he's saying, the Secret Service was trying to say, I don't know how he got in there, but I set up the whole fucking parade, you guys. And then he makes a Polish joke. Oh, God, he does. He goes... And, you know, that's a big feat, getting uh, 20,000 Polish people to go in one direction at one time. That's a big feat, getting 20,000 Polish people to go in the same direction at the same time. (laughs) That is for your Polish joke, John Wayne Gacy. So Gacy's like... Look, coppers, I'm not involved in the disappearance of Rob Peast or anyone else, but you know what? Out of the kindness of my packed artery heart, <laughs> I'm going to help you. I'm yeah. going to help you. Yeah. And this is where the cops literally say to us, to the camera. When we were following Gacy, we had to remind each other once in a while that what we were involved in and not get taken in by this guy. He was very likable. And Mike and I are like, we better kind of keep our guard up with this guy, even though you have a tendency to put your guard down because of the way he talked and acted and befriended us. While trailing this guy, we had to remember not to be best friends with him. They're like, he was charming, he was great, he was really fun to be around. Then they say, like, he would have some bad moments where, like, he'd get depressed and he'd, he'd like, start speeding and we'd have to pull him over and be like, bro, stop doing this or we're gonna have to arrest you for reckless driving. And I'm like, how about you just arrest the <sighs> guy you know killed the kid? I know. And then they're like, and then he'd get this look on his face of a broken man and he'd go nuts. <laughs> they were totally charmed by him. They are telling him how to not get arrested don't we want to arrest this guy isn't that the point like what are you are you just sort of like killing time until something real happens like i, I need that to be the case yes. because this is so shitty it really is very bad so they're tailing gacy for 10 days they lived and breathed the whole operation they literally like this whole thing consumed us it's all we did it's all we thought about it was so super hard going to the fucking moose lodge <laughs> and having eggs at 6 a.m after you closed down the joint with gacy and the whole thing lasted for 10 days you guys like i thought this went on for years i know that's what it feels like <laughs> Episode one, great. So then we meet Michael Rossi and David Cram. And they're yeah. like young kids in their 20s. They they were loyal, longtime employees of Gacy. Not and that loyal. No. They they start singing like canaries real fast. Well, yeah, because the cops are interviewing them. And they're interviewed like multiple times. And I guess the cops do one of those like, we know what you did. And they're like, all right, we'll tell you. Uh, Gacy had a crawl space and he made us dig trenches. And there was this hole for a drain pipe. And also there was an odor down in the crawl space. And he would tell us that it was like sewage issues and he just told us to throw some lime down there so we threw some lime down there and that's it. And so we get Gacy's take on this in that interview from 1993 and he's like no here's the thing there's no bodies down no. there. What what it was was the house was built on a clay foundation mm-hmm. and that got real stinky sometimes sure. and I had this landscaper friend and he's like he said spread white lime just regular masonry lime on the ground he said it'll sweeten up the clay and you won't have that odor. And Rob Ressler the FBI guy goes how, how much lime was spread down there eventually? Gacy's got to think about it for a second and then he goes uh, I think seven or eight hundred pounds of it. 
700, 800 pounds? What? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So the cops were like, oh, this is so weird because when we were there with the search warrant, we actually saw the crawl space. It didn't look like a grave to us. I mean, it was literally like they were like there were no mounds of there were no fresh mounds of dirt. So no reason to look here for the body of the kid we're looking for. Right. When there are IDs upstairs and someone else's class ring. Right. And shackles. It was very like I don't feel like that first search was very thorough. Right. Like. You got blinders on? Really? What's going on? And I guess like they were looking for that kid alive. Like they kept thinking they were gonna like liberate this kid alive. So maybe they weren't looking for a body yet. But it just seems like when there's a crawl space in a fucking creepy man that dresses like a clown sometimes, when there's a crawl space in that guy's house, just search it. Better safe than sorry. Better safe. When it comes to crawl spaces. So after all of these interviews and everything they learned about his record, they finally start putting it all together. And the cops are like, Oh, and he was getting worried. He looked like shit. He wasn't sleeping. Like we were only going out till two, three in the morning. We weren't even getting breakfast. Anymore, <laughs> real, real down. He didn't want to go to the pot and pan for breakfast every night or whatever. <laughs> pot and pan. <laughs> so now they're like, okay, we need a second warrant now, yeah, because we need to go back in and they need quote fresh probable cause. So here's what they want to use: they want to yeah. use the class ring they found the first time, that receipt for fo- for film, yeah, that is under the name Kim Byers. And so here's what we learn about this receipt: it's actually really important. It's really important and very. This is some good detective work. This, I think. Yeah, this is great. So she worked at the cast register at the store right. where Rob Peast worked and met Gacy, and then that was the last time he was seen, right? So, like, this girl and Rob Pease worked together. Yeah. So, Kim goes outside. She, like, gets her receipt or whatever. She goes outside for a break. Kim Byers was going to step outside and have a break, and she borrowed Rob Pease's coat. And just before she went outside, she took her film and was having the film process, got a receipt, put the receipt in the pocket of Pease's coat. Because when they find the receipt in Gacy's house, that connects Rob Peace to Gacy. So, like, now the, there's great probable cause. Mm-hmm. But then, this is where we learn... This bitch. I hate him. I know. I know. I know. This is where we learn how full of hubris this guy is. But I like saying that because some other cop says it here. Gacy, uh... <laughs> who was full of hubris and arrogance. Like, these two cops were staking out the house, and Gacy invites the cops in for dinner. Remember, guys, we are eventually going to learn there's 33 bodies buried under this house. Like, mm-hmm. you want to talk about, like, whatever the word is. Yeah. Hubris, maybe. Hubris, yeah. He invites these cops in for dinner. They're like, uh, sure, I guess we'll come in. It's t- freezing cold outside. Freezing cold. The serial killer's going to make us dinner. We'll do it this one time. And one of the cops is like, I got to pee, and he goes into the bathroom at the exact moment the heat kicks in. So... Bob went into the the bathroom and what happened and while he was in there the heat kicked on. And when the heat kicks on, Schultz smells this horrific smell that he said he could only equate to the county morgue. He's like, I can't put my finger on it, but it smells exactly like the morgue. Right. Wonder what it could be. <laughs> so they're like, Oh, this is definitely probable cause now. Yes. Like with the receipt, all this stuff, the fucking smell of death. Yeah. Like that gets that they get the warrant. So we cut to 5 a.m. That yes. night. They're like, uh, sorry, Gacy, we gotta go. We'll see you later. <laughs> Me over the moose lodge, Gacy. See you at the pan and sprinkle for breakfast. We'll be right back. They like like two cop-shaped holes in the door, right? <laughs> cut to 5 a.m. The prosecutor gets a call. When I received a telephone call from Assistant State's Attorney Mike Corkell, who told me, uh, get your ass out of bed and over to the police station. We found bones. Get your ass out of bed and over to the station. We found bones. Oh, ah! oh my God. We found bones. And the scene at the at Gacy's house is terrifying. Yeah. And it, the stench is unreal. And it's like, it's so, I mean, I can't, can you imagine no, walking it like, no. And I'm you like, were going to eat dinner there? I know. <laughs> 
Hey fam, thanks for checking out our first episode of John Wayne Gacy, A Devil in Disguise. All six episodes of this series are available right now and ad-free on our Patreon feed. It's where you'll find almost 200 full ad-free bonus episodes of TCO. It's where we cover all of the long-form series from Making a Murderer to Night Stalker to The Menendez Murders, Lorena, Don't F with Cats, Serial Season 1, The Jinx, and so many more. Go to truecrimeobsessed.com, click on the Patreon link, and it'll take you right there. We love you guys. Bye.